You're listening to the Substandard Model. Today we're going to be talking about Fourier series and Fourier transforms. Fourier series and Fourier transform are a mathematical object that we can use to de-smudge images of planets, we can use to describe the uncertainty principle, and we can use to edit this very podcast that you are listening to. There's a guy called Fourier, and what he did Ah, was he loved waves. If you like waves too, you're going to love this. Initially, this seems not super interesting because it takes a lot of like the bear with me. Just, just learn how to do this. Just learn how to do that, and then, and then once you get it, it's like, oh, I can use this for this, and also this, and also that. And like, I'm deciding to, I'm deciding to bear with. Sam, we all know that a sound wave is a pressure wave in air, which means at different periods of time, if you choose a point in space to measure the local pressure of air and you put sound over it, then. Mm-hmm you're going to have the air molecules bunching up and then unbunching and bunching up and unbunching in a particular interesting pattern at different frequencies and different amplitudes. So they might get really, really bunched up and then they might bunch up the second time, like a second after, but not be as bunched up. And so if you want to record the pressure of the air at this point as a function of time, I'm saying function here. A function is a thing where you put in an input and you get an output and there's a correlation between the input and output and the correlation is called the function right mm-hmm. and so if you've got an input of time if you say at five seconds what's the pressure and the output's the pressure at five seconds you get a pressure of five and at six seconds you get a pressure of six right and then if you plot mm-hmm. all the pressures against all the time you get a line i.e pressure against time that 2d graph those two axes right you might mm-hmm. have a wave that you know it goes up and then down and then up a little bit and then a bit flat and then up and then flat and then spikes up and then down and then spikes up and then flat and then a nice smooth curve up and down. But what if I asked you, Sam, when we make noise with a guitar or a piano, we make individual frequencies, right? So yes. when you press a piano key, it goes, and that could be 400 hertz, right? Mm-hmm. And then you press another one, and that could be 500 hertz, right? And each one of these is a sine wave. So if you pressed a piano key and just recorded the sound of that piano key, it would just be a sine wave, a smooth curve up and down. It would go up and then down and then up and then down. And the pressure would go up and down and up and down. And the, the speed at which it goes up and down would correspond to the pitch of the sound that you're making. So if you've yes. got a higher pitch noise, then it would go up and down faster right the pressure of the air at that local point next to your piano chord so what happens when you play two piano chords at once sam well obviously you hear a new noise so there must be a pressure function over time of up and then down and up and then down right but you're pressing two one of them's going down up down up down and the other one's going up down up down right and then when you add them both together you have this interesting periodic pattern where the one that's going faster, going up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, that one goes up and down, let's say, four times a second, and then the other one goes up and down twice a second. Mm -hmm. That means there's interesting points where the one that's going fast is up, and the one that's going slow is also up, and then their amplitude adds together. The pressure is double what it would otherwise be if it was just a single one of them, right? And then there's times where the fast one's down, and the slow one's also down, and that you get the same thing. The pressure's twice as low. 
But there's times where mm-hmm. the slow one's up and the fast one's down, or the fast one's up and the slow one's down, and there you get no pressure. And so what you end up with is this interesting wave of pressure against time, as before, when you put it next to those two chords being played at the same time, which is a more complex shape. And it might go up a little bit, and then down to zero, and then flat, and then up to twice as high, and then down to twice as low, and then flat, and then up a little bit, and down and whatnot. Mm -hmm. It's a more complicated thing. And what happens in daily life, where you can say, well, I've got a bird singing in the tree, and there's a car going past, and there's an airplane, and my mum's talking to me, and I leant back in the bed, so it made a creaking noise, and there's music, and there's a piano Mm -hmm. playing two chords at the same time. Right. And when you add all of those together, you get a really, really complicated pressure against time wave, which goes up and then down and then sideways and then up and then zigzag and whatnot, right? Yeah, but at right. its core, at its core, each of those noises can be broken down into those simple sine waves, the simple individual piano keys. Mm-hmm. So a bird, a bird singing could be just a four hertz and a 1500 hertz and a 12 hertz and a 12 and a half hertz, and a 405 hertz, and a 460 hertz. And you add them all together, and then that complicated sum gives you mm-hmm. pressure against time of a bird call. And what I'm describing right. there is something called Fourier series. Fourier mm-hmm. series is where you can represent any function, any pressure against time line, into a sum of individual sine waves. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, an approximation for a function. Mm-hmm. What well, Fourier series is, is when you add up sine x to sine 2x to sine 3x to sine 4x to sine 5x, and they, each one of those has got their own little amplitude, then it, the shape of that line will tend towards approximating another curvy function, right? Right, right. thing is, it's an approximation that when you make the range of frequencies infinite, it becomes basically the exact same as a function. And the definition of a Fourier series is an infinite sum of sine waves. So you can add up an infinite sum of sine waves of different frequencies and produce any shape of function, any noise you want. I like where you're going with this. And then there's a thing called Fourier transform. So I've been talking about pressure against time. And what we're going to call that is the time space. The, mm-hmm. the, the place where our graph is plotted is a space that's in time space. And there's another thing called frequency space. And that's where we can represent the same function are complicated up and down of pressure and time that represents this complicated sound wave of airplanes and birds and people talking and everything, right? Ambient noise. We can represent it in frequency space. And that's where, instead of having spiking of pressure against time, we just have a spiking of pressure against frequency. So let's say you take a function. Let's say the noise of the substandard model intro. (laughs) So you take that waveform that shape of pressure against time and you go i'm going to do a fourier transform and mathematically that's an integral from infinity to minus infinity of that times e to the i kx dx mm-hmm. so it's a complicated thing but you do that and it spits out 12 5 400 okay what you've done there is you've taken the fourier transform of a time space function and turned it into a frequency space function you wait so it splits out three values what it spits out is three peaks at three values. And what you're doing when you're taking a Fourier transform is you're saying, instead of it being x, a function of x, it's a function of the coefficient of x inside of that sign. Mm. So if you think of a wave, a wave in space is 
represented by a sine omega t where a is the amplitude of the wave sine is the shape of the wave omega t is the frequency times the time if you increase omega if you think about sine 2x it's it's got half the period so increasing omega is right. increasing the frequency sine 2t yes. half the period if you increase t it goes slightly further along the wave um but it has oh. the same so what the Fourier transform gives you is the function that corresponds to the coefficient of t inside of that infinite sum of signs. So if you've got a wave that's got 4 hertz, 5 hertz, and 12 hertz in it of sine waves, the Fourier transform gives you a function that spikes at 4, 5, and 12, Uh basically saying there's a 4 hertz wave. These are the frequencies. There's a 5 hertz wave in it, and there's a 12 hertz wave in it. And what happens in daily life, our complicated noise is made out of 400 hertz, 12 hertz, and 5 hertz frequency space is going to look like at five hertz you've got a five hertz sound five hertz sine wave that's four decibels in height or 200 pascals in height and our 400 hertz is going to be 100 pascals in height and our 12 hertz is going to be 12 pascals in height right yeah then when you add them all together you've got a five hertz a 400 hertz and a 12 hertz which gives our complicated pressure wave in in the time space but in the frequency space, we've just got these spikes at different frequencies. And so it's another way of representing our Fourier series as a sum of the 5 hertz, the 12 hertz, and the 400 hertz. You've got sine of 400, ah. sine of 400t, and then sine of 12t and sine of 5t, right? Mm-hmm. I see. What you could have is a smooth function in the frequency space. It's, that's that's for the case where every frequency is in your in your waveform, but at different volumes. Oh, I like that. That's so you sort could of have, yeah. So you could have, let's say, every frequency up to infinity is in your sound. Infinite frequency is basically it's oscillating so fast that it's it's not it's not it doesn't exist. Is there anything that's its own Fourier? So a normal distribution. If you mm-hmm. take a normal distribution in time space, i.e., it goes silent. Oop, Silent again. <laughs> That's what I right. imagine a normal distribution is going to sound like in time space. If you take a Fourier yeah. of a normal distribution, a normal distribution is like a smooth curve that peaks in the center and then is yeah. zero everywhere else. If you take a Fourier of a normal distribution, you get a normal distribution. But interestingly, you get a reciprocal relationship between the time space and the frequency space normal distribution. Okay, first of all, let's just say why it's a reciprocal relationship. Frequency is one over time, right? Yes. You know that for, from wave equations in GCC, um, um, it's yeah, F is equal life. to 1 over T. So what's the time period of this wave? How long does it take for one sine wave oscillation to occur? Well, it's, it's 1 over the frequency, and that's the time period, right? So right. it makes sense why you would get this reciprocal relationship. So the wider normal distribution uh... in time space the thinner it is in frequency space and vice versa. The wider it is in frequency space, the thinner it is in time space. Sam? Nice. This is where Fourier gets really exciting because, I mean, what if I talked about Heisenberg's uncertainty principle? I knew, I was literally going to say uncertainty principle. Ultimately, it's a relationship between energy and time, isn't it? I thought it was position and energy. You can talk about it as the uncertainty between the position and momentum, as i.e. the more Mm. you know about the momentum, the less you know about the position. But it's also about the more you know about the energy something has, the less you know about the time at which something has that energy. The time at which something has that energy. Oh, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Right. Yes. You're gonna, that's yeah. easier to explain because energy is proportional to HF. So yes, yes, it's the same as the frequency time relationship that we had previously, which means it's mathematically rigorous. And the way that it's nice is that if you convert between the frequency space, i.e. the energy space with a 
proportionality constant of h planck's constant are you just scaling the axis of a frequency space um then the fourier transform of the frequency space or the energy space the fourier transform of the energy space gives you the time space and the fourier transform of the time space gives you the energy space yeah which in quite a cool way means that the gaussian if you say something happened within this period of time if you say when did something happen well we can say it's a normal distribution it most likely happened at time equals four seconds but Two standard deviations away. We've got a bit of a normal distribution going on here. Could have happened at two seconds. Could have happened at five seconds, right? Somewhere in that right. region, right? You say, okay, well, let's look at the energy of it. Uh, well, I think it's six joules, and I'm really pretty sure it's six joules because we've got such a wide range of when it happened, and the Fourier transform of a wide Gaussian gives you a really narrow Gaussian, so you're really sure on what the energy is. But then if you try and say, what's the time, and you try and narrow that Gaussian, making that standard deviation smaller and smaller and smaller, and you go, oh, it really is four seconds. I'm really, really sure it happened at four seconds. But as you do that, the reciprocal relation forces the energy Gaussian to spread out and smear. Right. Also okay. diffraction, Gracing. diffraction gratings. Diffraction gratings? Yeah, if you yeah. represent the... I'm just going to throw it out there. If you represent the aperture of a diffraction grating, let's say it's a single slit, and that means that along the x-axis of your graph, along the x-axis, your input for your function is just where along the board is your aperture, right? And then the output is the amount of light that's transmitted through this point along the board, right? So if you have a single right. slit, what you're going to have is zero for everywhere along the board. Then you're going to have maximum intensity of light for a short block in the center. And then you're going to have zero for everywhere else on the board, right? So it's right. a block function. It looks like a rectangle. It's just a mm. zero yeah. square zero. That's what your function looks like, right? If you take the Fourier transform, of that square aperture function, what you mm -hmm. get is the diffraction pattern that you see on the screen opposite. And uh -huh. it's a sync function, which is exactly what you see in reality. It's cool because you can do it for, oh. let's say your aperture is a cosine oh. function. The intensity of light along your board is a cosine. Okay. For a cosine aperture, what you get is two plane waves on, on your diffraction pattern. So if you take the Fourier transform of a cosine aperture function, you'll get two plane waves appearing at two different points on the screen. So let's say you ran electrons through a cosine aperture somehow, right? Mm -hmm. You would have two spots on the screen opposite, just two dissociated spots. Hmm. You ran photons through as well, you'd get two dissociated points of light. Um, if you do a double slit know. where you have those two rectangular functions, so instead of having one big tool, one in the middle, you have zero rectangle function at minus D and then zero to positive D and you have another rectangle function. You get a double slit mm -hmm. diffraction pattern as the Fourier transform of that. Yes. Ooh. Now I'm going to talk about convolution. Okay. okay. Let's go sure back to that aperture function. Mm -hmm. Let's say in, you've got this aperture function, which is just this rectangular block in the middle, single slit. So zero block, yep. single slit, zero again, right? And let's say instead of just having intensity of light being constant through there, you're looking through the slit at Jupiter in space. So really, instead of a okay. slit, you've got a hole which you're looking through to see Jupiter. And you put some lenses either side of the hole to make Jupiter clear, right? Right. What I'm really trying to get to here is you've got a telescope, right? <laughs> you've got a telescope but the uh, hole at the end of the telescope is your aperture function yes and for simplistic reasons we'll just say that hole is a single slit 
Uh-huh. So you've got the light from Jupiter, which describes the shape of Jupiter, goes all the way down to Earth, passes through the single slit, at which point it then diffracts through your telescope, giving you that weird Fourier diffracted pattern on the other end, right? Yes. So, so the image you get in your eye is a diffracted version of Jupiter. Mm-hmm. But what you want is the undiffracted version of Jupiter. Uh-huh. Oh. Let me represent the functions. You're looking at Jupiter. You've got a function of Jupiter, which is at different positions on Jupiter, there's different frequencies of light coming off. That's your Jupiter function, right? Mm-hmm. X-axis, where on Jupiter, Y-axis, color of light, right? And we'll say right. it's a constant amplitude. Then you've got your aperture function, which is the aperture function in this case, I'm actually going to say is what happens to the light as it goes through your telescope. So Mm -hmm. your input to that function is the light as it goes into the telescope, which is your Jupiter function. And your output of that function is the diffraction pattern you see on the other side of your screen, right? Yes, yes. Because that's the input-output relationship you've got there. What you want is the original image of Jupiter without it being affected by this process of going through the telescope, which causes it to diffract with itself by passing Uh through a single slit. Oh, I see. I see, I see, I see. It's a blurry image of Jupiter, which sort of mimics a single slit pattern, right? Mm -hmm. So your image that you've received from your telescope is a smeared out version of Jupiter because it's gone through the telescope apparatus and diffracted with itself and it's all smudgy. And what you want is the clear, crisp image of Jupiter as you can see it in space. Yes. So what you do is you take a Fourier transform of your smudged image as it as you receive it through your telescope, mm-hmm. and that gives you all the frequencies of the smudginess mm-hmm. as a function of amplitude. So you've got five hertz is this this fre- amplitude of this frequency, and this amplitude of this frequency, and this amplitude of this frequency. Then you calibrate your telescope by putting a point light source. And the reason you do that is because you know what the if you put like a red dot through it and you get a single slit diffraction pattern, then you can tell what the input output function relation is of your telescope. Yeah. Because you know what the input is. Your input is a aperture function, essentially. Your input is that square wave where it's zero everywhere apart from in the center where it's one, right? Mm-hmm. So you run that through. You get your lovely single slit diffraction pattern, which is a sync wave with a big peak in the middle. It's twice as wide as the other little oscillations on the side. Then you take the Fourier transform of your simple aperture input of a red dot. You write that as a function of frequencies. Yes. At each amplitude. Then Mm -hmm. you take your image of Jupiter that's been smudged, the Fourier of that image, and you divide it by the Fourier of, of your telescope. And then what you're going to get is the Fourier of just Jupiter. Ah, I'll say it again. This is called convolution. So as your image of Jupiter goes through the telescope, it gets convoluted, right? Uh It gets smudgy. And this process is called deconvolution. And you divide the Fourier of your image by the Fourier of the input output function of the uh, telescope. And if you Fourier the Fourier of Jupiter, do you get an image of Jupiter? Yes. There you go. Ah, ah, ah. So what happens is Jupiter goes into your telescope, gets smudged. You take a you take the smudged result of that. You take a Fourier of the smudged result. You divide it by the smudging function that occurs inside the telescope. You divide it by the Fourier of the smudging function that occurs inside the telescope. And you get the Fourier of Jupiter. And then you take the Fourier of the Fourier of Jupiter to receive the image <laughs> of Jupiter. And they do this all the time with uh, astrophysics and taking images because 
it's the same thing with Bloody your eye. If you think about it, your eye has an input-output function. You don't know that the light your eye is receiving is what the image is. So what you could do is you could calibrate your eye by looking at a point light source, <laughs> work out the smudge <laughs> function of your eye, how your eye affects the light that goes into it, and then divide the Fourier of your eye's smudginess by the smudge function's <laughs> Fourier, and then you can work out what your actual image, what you're actually looking at, looks like. But you couldn't see that because you'd be looking at it with your eye. So, so it's called deconvolution. Basically, <laughs> the principle of deconvolution is the Fourier of a smudged image is equal to the product of the Fourier of the smudging function and the Fourier of the original image. Smudging function. I like that. Yeah. This makes sense. I, I completely get convolution now. Oof, that was a journey. So, recap, as my mum keeps asking. <laughs> recap. 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 You can represent any curvy line between an, with an input and output relationship as an infinite sum of sine waves of different frequencies. Right. So you can have a square wave. A square wave, I think, is sine x plus a third sine 3x plus a fifth sine 5x plus a seventh sine 7x plus a ninth sine 9x Ew. all the way oh up to Stop. infinite Stop frequency. <laughs> and that'll give you a perfect That's... square wave. There's actually a thing called the Gibbs waves. phenomena, which means that it peaks at discontinuities, but we won't get into that. So you can, you can, you can represent any function as a sum of infinite sine waves. Mm-hmm. Then... You can take a transform, and that means that you get, instead of it being in terms of sine of x, it's in terms of the coefficient of sine of x. So instead of it being a graph of sine 2x, you get a graph of just the function of 2. Mm-hmm. Because in that case, for the square wave, uh, 1x, 3x, 5x, 7x, 9x, right? Right, right. So it will just be 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, all the way up to infinity. That would be the square wave Fourier, right? You would get a peak mm-hmm. at one and three and then five and then seven and then nine and then all the, all the odd numbers up to infinity. So that's the Fourier transform. Then if you take a Fourier transform of time, you can get a Gaussian for, you can get the energy of a particle. And if you take a Fourier transform of the energy of a particle, you can get the time at which the thing happened, the observation. Same for position and momentum. If you take the Fourier transform of an aperture function for a uh, double slit interaction, then you will get the diffraction pattern that you see on the other side. And you can deconvolute images of objects in space via dividing two Fourier transforms of each other and then un-Fourier transforming the Fourier transform that you get as a result. <laughs> this is magical. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. It's just every piece of technology, everything wireless, every every like missile defense system or radar or whatever or like the cool thing it's it's a mathematical thing at its core i've been talking a lot about time and frequency but Mm -hmm. you know i've said you can talk about space and momentum you can talk about shapes so instead of a sine wave if you represent it as a circle Mm -hmm. so right so instead of it going up and then down as it does in a sine wave it just goes around the circumference of a circle then you could just add rotating circles that rotate at different speeds to each other and then you can trace out ah. the shape in 2D space. And then if you do that with spheres, you can trace out a shape in 3D space. And it's, an, it's a rotating sphere. And you plot a point on the sphere. And then you have another rotating sphere on that point on the sphere. And then you have another rotating sphere on the point on that sphere on that sphere, right? Right, right, right. Then if you take the final sphere and you put a 
pen on it and you trace out the path of that pen as all these spheres rotate around each other with specific frequencies and radii so the radius of a sphere is the amplitude of the sine wave and the speed at which the sphere ro- rolls uh-huh. is the frequency of the sine wave then if you trace a pen on the smallest sphere on the surface of the smallest sphere and then you run a certain function of frequencies amplitudes and radiuses and and, and rotating speeds right then you can trace right. out any 3d shape and the same way you can make a it function ways. comprised of numbers and spheres that will be able to trace out the entirety of your body atom by atom <laughs> and then sam you can take a fourier transform of your body and write it in frequency space if you want to you can make yourself into an aperture function and then run and see what your diffraction pattern is and you can get on a t-shirt you could you could turn your yeah <laughs> and, and would that t-shirt contain the entire space of information required to build me yeah Although, wow. admittedly, you'd have to do it in very small font. Small font, yes, of course. Yeah. And I've, for questions for university, it's fun when you get good at it because you can then just give me a function, any function, right? And I can, I can, I can turn it into a Fourier series and then I can transform that function. Like, it's a fun thing to think about. Like, this entire podcast could just be transformed. <laughs> That's true. You could remove me. Yeah, that's a cool thing, actually. That's a cool thing, because our voices have slightly different pitches, different frequencies. Right. What you can do is you can take the Fourier transform of the entire podcast, saying these different spikes at these different frequencies, and then we can just select Sam's frequencies, cut them out in the Fourier transform, (laughs) then Fourier transform that cut Fourier transform, and you'll get an entire version of the podcast without Sam. Which is how they do a lot of audio it's editing. It's just a dream. When we edit right. stuff, Sam, and we want to remove a certain pitch, it takes the Fourier yes. transform of yes. the segment, we cut a certain pitch, and then it Fourier transforms it back, and then the pitch isn't there. The number of Fourier transforms I've done when editing is, is monumental. By so switching should, yeah. the space at which you evaluate the information, it declutters it. So you take a complex noise and it reduces it to what frequencies are in the noise and then you can just select stuff to remove and then you can make it back into the noise. Yeah, you're just looking at it from a different perspective and it makes it all work out. Each individual ant is kind of very stupid. P for proton, which is 2.793 mu n, and mu n equal to negative 1.93 mu n, 1,836. That was a rough podcasting there. <laughs> Jeez. And essentially, it's potential energy, like like all things are. Pineapple eats you. You generate into a world of pain. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Do people say the of? Okay, okay. How are we doing this? Okay, basically. <laughs> and that's because the whole of Enceladus, the whole moon, is being squished and squashed by Saturn. I'm gonna be honest. It looks like the Death Star. Sam, have you heard of glass frogs? Oh yeah, they're great. No, you better not know this about glass frogs. Is it the thing that came out this week about why they're so see-through? Oh, fuck. No, I think... I don't know. I don't know, Henry. Do we all have aphantasia? Do you know what microtubules are? Uh, I mean, I can imagine. It's a, it's a small tubule, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, spot on, yeah. <laughs> you would have an electron field. We're not yeah. experts. Let's just put it out here. Because we've been recently alerted by my mum that some of her physics professor friends may be <laughs> listening to this podcast. Um, and that that made us feel bad. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, Bert Henry's mum is always, is always crucial for a good podcast, I think. All right, Sam. Henry.
You're listening to the Substandard Model. 